Hi there, I'm Rory O'Connor, Professor of Health Psychology and a Mental Health Researcher at the University of Glasgow. And I'm Craig, a filmmaker and content creator at MQ Mental Health Research. And welcome to MQ Open Mind, a podcast that brings together lived experience with scientific research to help us to better understand mental health problems. And we hope to do so in a way that is accessible to all. This week we have podcaster and journalist Gemma Stiles. In this episode, we spoke about doing good, the impact of social media on mental health, and raising money with sunglasses. Hi, welcome to our MQ, our latest MQ Open Mind podcast. And Craig and I are absolutely delighted that we've got the fantastic Gemma Stiles today. So hi, Gemma. Great to have you here. Hello. Thank you very much for having me. So um, we, we, I've seen a lot of what you've been doing recently on really trying to promote conversations around mental health and mental, mental well-being. It's really important. This month of May, which is obviously mental health awareness work going on. So maybe could you tell us a bit about your interest and how your interest in mental health began? Um, I think probably like a lot of people, my interest, if you like, in mental health as a topic came through personal experience of um, mental health issues and different sort of conditions and diagnoses and the like over several uh, several years of my life. Um, but then I think sort of bringing that conversation into online spaces um, really connect you with a lot of different people who then have a lot of other mental health issues, conditions that maybe aren't the same as my experience, but it's connecting with different people has really given me an appreciation of the real breadth that, you know, mental health issues can sort of cover um and as well as better trying to understand you know myself and conditions that affect me personally I think it's really important to try and understand other people and sort of open up that conversation further especially to conditions that maybe aren't spoken about quite as much yet yeah. that's a very long answer to probably quite oh, a that's, question. <laughs> that's a great answer but I suppose I mean or I get some sense of give the reach that you have in terms of social media reach you I assume you get some sense of not only the, the breadth of the different ranges, but the scale of mental health problems out there. Yeah, I mean, it's, I think it's a funny one these days when you talk about kind of the scale of mental health problems, because it is, it is something that people who, I won't say people who are critical of mental health discussion, because to me, those are people who don't understand the mental health discussion and don't don't fully grasp the topic and that's how you know they can't appreciate it properly yeah but I think there's quite a there, there's certain certain factions of people who are quite quick to say oh well everybody's got some kind of mental health condition these yeah. days but I'm you know very much of the belief that's partly because we're actually talking about it more whereas these things would have happened a lot in the past but people would have had no arena or platform or you know wouldn't have been allowed to talk about these things it was all you know all we kept very hush hush um and also like you say social media I do think there are certain things about our society and culture and the way we live now that possibly do not lend themselves very well to keeping positive mental health yeah. for everyone so I think yeah the combination of those two things um 
social media is a real kind of intersection for for it all. Yeah. Very early on the podcast to use intersection. Now that's because <laughs> we I mean that's a lot of the work we do now is back that we're looking at in mean, the complexity, I think the intersection between our, all of our different lives in, in terms of your social media life, your in-person life, and the, all the different stresses they can they can add to. But just to go back to the point you made, Gem, about the scale and whatever. And I mean, I do think as somebody who's worked in this area for 25 years, so to those critics out there who say, well, oh, who, who try and dismiss the conversations, like I've just seen firsthand how these conversations, and you will have as well, and Craig will have as well, of how these conversations are so important and they can be life-saving and they can help somebody feel more connected in the world. Obviously, there are challenges with social media, and maybe we'll talk about that shortly. But but the point, I mean, there's definitely been a real increase in mental health problems. Now, that's not just because more people are talking about it. That's part mm -hmm. of it, of course. But there's a genuine, it really is a genuine increase in, in, that, in people's experiences and, and I think that's something we read to like there is this gap then between um, people's experiences of mental health problems having mental health problems and then not being able to access care but mm -hmm. maybe we'll, maybe we'll return to that bit maybe later so sure. I just wonder whether because I mean you've um, I've talked openly about your own experiences of own mental health challenges so maybe how do you go about I mean what good coping strategies do you use or what do you think is helpful for you when you are feeling overwhelmed or, or stressed or feeling low or whatever it might be? I, I always find that really hard to pinpoint. And I think to boil it down, I suppose the main thing is kind of being aware and kind of trying to practice the sort of mindfulness mm -hmm. in terms of being aware of my own mental and physical sort of needs on any particular day and in a particular moment so I feel like with if even with things like depression and anxiety when you have things coexisting there's sometimes you know there's a bit of a tussle and on one day you might need to take things very slowly at another point you think no it's actually going to be really good for my mental health today if I mm -hmm. get out of the house and go for a walk and you know just I wish I could could give a, a more structured sort of schedule or a set of rules for exactly what I would do. But to be honest, it's kind of just trying to mm -hmm. pay attention to myself at any particular time. And and yeah, unfortunately, I don't always have a good solid answer for it. Sometimes it is just waiting for the storm to pass kind of thing, yeah. which hopefully one day I might pick up even more <laughs> coping strategies. But I think that's such an important message, though, because it's not there is no one answer. And I think, I think you, that's a great point. Of, is it within each one of us, right? What works to manage our mental health in one day may not work the next day. And as you say, often if we've got the coexistence or whatever in psychological terms, we talk about the comorbidity of depressive symptoms and symptoms of anxiety. Mm. As you rightly point out, how you may be dealing with how you're feeling anxious is very different from how you would deal with feeling symptoms of depression. So, but I think that's a really important message to get out there for to people who are listening is not putting pressure on, you have to do. So some people, yeah, mindfulness might work, exercise might work, medication might work, psychological therapies might work, and it's just finding your own path. And I think that, because I think it is, it's, but that's a brilliant point about you, you said about being sensitive to be, be in tune with our own needs. Um, and then once we're in tune with our own needs and, and you're much more likely to get your needs met if you're aware of what those are. Do you ever feel like you have to push yourself to do things sometimes? 
Um, kind of. Mm-hmm. And I think that is an interesting conversation that I've picked up that definitely I've seen other people talking about online before. So the kind of idea that there's such a thing as being too gentle with ourselves. Yeah. That then sometimes you kind of have to try and push yourself to do things that are going to be beneficial for your mental health. Um, I do think that's a tricky one because in, in my personal experience of depression in particular, it's just such a hard thing to do sometimes. Like the most frustrating thing to me, I think, is when someone will kind of try and push advice at you that usually starts with, well, why don't you just yeah, yeah. dot, dot, dot. And that to me is always the most frustrating because if it was as simple as just saying, well, oh, well, I'll just do that then you would have done it already and you wouldn't be kind of in that position. It's just, yeah, I think it's quite difficult to make yourself do those kind of self-care activities for your own mental health sometimes. Yeah. Not that we shouldn't do them, but I don't think it's always as, I don't mean to make it sound as simple as, oh, well, you go for a walk, you do this, do that, because it's actually not always as easy as just saying, yeah. do it. I guess because as someone with myself with anxiety, there's sometimes when I want to do something and I feel like maybe this will help with my confidence, maybe help with my anxiety, but I don't know if this is a tightrope, is it going to make it worse or is it going to make it better? And you never know until afterwards. Yeah, that anxiety is a tricky one for that, I think. I do. I try with, especially with um, work things, I've had to try and sort of have the conversation. Basically for me, I feel like whatever I'm doing, I'm going to be anxious about it to a certain extent, which I've accepted about myself. But I've tried to kind of look at it now as, am I anxious about it because I want to do it and I want it to go well? Or am I anxious about it because I actually don't want to do it? Because I feel like they can be quite different things. Mm, But also trying to weigh up whether it's worth it, if you know what I mean. Because for certain, certain activities or social things or what well, like whatever it might be if you know that you're not going to sleep properly for two weeks beforehand because it's going to cause you so much stress sometimes that's a consideration for me yeah. I think yeah weighing up ex- like exactly how much the sort of risk benefit scenario is is yeah it's a difficult one mm. I suppose that just makes me think of so when we think of physical health, right, we, we all know we have a limited capacity in our physical health. I can only run as fast or for as long or do whatever exercise for a certain period of time. And we all accept that, right? We all have our limits and our boundaries. And our, mm. but, but it's more it's less likely we think about that with regard to mental health. And, and what you're illustrating is absolutely right, which is, so yeah, so that, if you think of those, you, your example there of the two weeks in advance of maybe some big event or some big thing, so then, but so is it that all the potential feeling exhausted, whatever the complex emotions you might feel for that, and then the trade-off of whatever it going well or I mean, getting whatever the outcome of it is, but it just but it's but if by the time you get to the event you're so exhausted because you just run out of steam, and that's I mean I think that's that is an important one to ask ourselves: well, is it worth doing it? <laughs> is it trade-off? Do you get the rebound effect or do you get the refill? Um, because we are only all limited in our sort of mental health. I mean, we only have a certain amount of energy in our mental health. And I just think we need, I don't think as a society, we do enough by trying to weigh those up because we're driven for doing certain things and we get rewards from that. But actually, what is the consequence, potential consequences on our mental health or 
we would talk about the sort of in a stress context, we would talk about the wear and tear hypothesis. If you were continually stressing your body out psychologically, never mind physically, it just your body just breaks down over time and you just need to give each other time to recover. Yeah, I think an important part of that is also thinking about, you know, whatever the thing is that's causing you stress is what and who are you doing it for? Because if it's something that is going to cause you stress, but it's something that genuinely you want to do or you want to overcome or you want to experience, then great. Mm -hmm. But if it's something that also you're giving that much energy to and it's really going to be that much of a drain on how you feel over an extended period of time, and actually you're only doing it because somebody else expects you to, or you feel like you should, and you feel all this sort of outer pressure, then that for me, when you start trying to weigh things up, it starts to tip the other way and that, you know, it's just for your own personal resources. It's not, not really probably worth it. Yeah. And it's, and and it's who you're doing it for. And one of the other podcasts, Craig and I have talked about social perfectionism and then it's like men is I'm a high end social perfectionism. So I'm, driven so i'm always i'm hyper concerned about others think or expect of me and i continually think i'm letting others down so if you're but it's not good for your mental health right so it's finding mm. some happy medium because you're just driven doing stuff and it's just to, because you want to meet the expectations of others which of course on one level is admirable and you want to be altruistic and supportive and so on mm. but there's that again it's this fine line i think i don't think we're as good at doing at treading that line craig you mentioned did you talk about that so we mentioned the treading the line thing. Yeah. I think there is something about that, which I think we, as a society, we need to do better at, especially I think as young people come through, you know, with different pressures than certainly when I was a kid. But then maybe moving on then, Gemma, thinking about mm-hmm. um, in the messages you're trying to convey from the work that you do. So like, is there a key, we've talked about some of messages in terms of, oh, there's different solutions for different problems and symptoms and they change over time and for individuals but is there a key message that you're when you think about the work that you do in terms of getting destigmatizing mental health is there a key message in the work that you do you, you try to convey in terms of either your podcast work or your wider work and social media any thoughts um i mean i think there's still some really basic stuff in there to be honest even just of you know the kind of differences between what I would describe as mental health and mental illness because I think there's still as the the mental health conversation if you like becomes ever more widely spoken about there's still the thing of in sort of mainstream conversations people can still use mental health as a kind of catch-all for everything basically related to poor mental health (laughs) so you talk about people who have mental health as in somebody who's experiencing mental illness or has a mental health condition as opposed to really embracing the fact that everybody has a level of mental health whether whether that's positive mental health or poor mental health at any particular time um so I think some of it is really really as basic as that and then pushing through that on another level to kind of think of beyond events that are maybe to do with mental health awareness as an idea that even if we're becoming a lot more aware of mental health conditions and mental illness in our sort of culture I think there's still a real gap between being aware of these things and actually having 
a particular level of sort of flexibility and being able to either support or deal with or mold around people who need any kind of concession because they're experiencing poor mental health Mm -hmm. so it's you know the sort of difference between somebody telling you that they're experiencing depression and you saying right okay I'm aware I know what that is Mm -hmm. I let me try and speak to you kindly and all the rest of it and actually for example a workplace being able to accommodate any kind of different things that somebody might need in that in that scenario um obviously those things could be very widely wide ranging so I'm probably not explaining that particularly well but no, but I think you're right in that. I think we have got, in terms of promoting the discussion around mental health awareness, mm-hmm. yeah, I think we have made progress there. But the point you're making about in the workplace is actually our implementation or our access to supports or actually doing stuff. I think there is that gap still. That there's great, it's dead easy to talk about mental health awareness, um, but it's doing that next step. And, and, and actually, in the works, for example, we do a lot of work on suicide and, and the suicide prevention work, all the discussions have been right let's promote the conversations around suicide. But then there's an ethical question is, if you're promoting questions around suicide prevention, in my case, or on mental health more generally, well, there has to be supports and services out there which are accessible mm. those who need them. And that could be the workplace because, so for example, most people who die by suicide are in employment, they're working. Mm. So workplace is a key in, in my line of work is a really important place to intervene and support people and for mental health in general of course and I think there are other issues I think which is I think we have been in, in terms of the stigmatization of mental health mm-hmm. that's work for like depressive symptoms and anxiety but if you look yeah. at more complex enduring mental health problems like psychosis as a really good example or bipolar disorder I think we have but there's still there still are there's much more stigma there so we are making progress but it's still a long road a long road ahead yeah definitely yeah moving on to what you was talking about with social media mm. as someone with a massive following on social media and I guess a lot of people can't really relate to having that many people I know on on Instagram I probably have about 200 people and I was quite happy about that um but as someone having millions of followers has that mm. impacted your mental health I think probably yes at certain points I think it's a funny one because as much as social media is an enormous part of a lot of people's lives now it still feels like one of those things where you talk about social media and it's kind of meant to be fun and not that serious so to say you know that it would really impact your mental health still feels kind of strange but yeah definitely I think I think there's a lot of, there's a big link between mental health and things like concepts of kind of like self-esteem, for example, which I think is one that is very easy to see how that would be impacted by social media and kind of having confidence in yourself, not, not even necessarily physically or anything like that, but just, yeah, I don't know. I think feeling feeling watched or yeah yeah I don't know it's it's a funny one to describe but I think at a certain point you do just get very worried about people's reactions to everything you say yeah which I mean I'm sure I'm sure that doesn't apply to everybody who 
is on, on social media but I think there's definitely potential for yeah it just to all to feel a bit much at times and I think it can almost in an odd way kind of shut you down a little bit more because mm. even though you've maybe got a bigger audience of people to talk to you almost feel more scared to say anything at some point so you kind of then communicate less yeah. just because I mean for example if uh, if my mental health hasn't been great so actually I mean I'll just say as as a personal example like the past couple of months like the start of 2022 I haven't had great mental health um just been quite low haven't really had a lot of sort of motivation to do lots of things and everything else and I know that that has really made me sort of pull back from social media things one because you just don't can't necessarily sort of find the impetus to be able to share that much of yourself and two because I just know somebody's always got something to say yeah. <laughs> about anything that you do even if you think it's something completely sort of banal and harmless and like day-to-day -day nothingness someone's always got something to say so if I'm already in a space where I know I'm not feeling at my strongest to deal with any of that sort of stuff I know it just kind of makes me not want to say anything because I can't really deal with what comes back from it yeah mm, but sense. then I think I think that then turns into a bit more of a cycle and makes you feel more disconnected from people which again then isn't isn't great for well-being um so yeah it's a bit of bit of a cycle there but so have you do you think I'm really sorry to hear you obviously had a really difficult few months Gemma yeah, um, thank you but, so do you see the so as you're following like has got bigger and bigger. I mean, so it has become more difficult because that's a, you make the point, obviously, because it's so vast now that, yeah, there's always somebody who's going to say something. And if you are obviously feeling not your strongest, as you say, I can totally get that. But so did you get, so do you think it's getting easier or more difficult more generally? Forget about, I don't mean about this first couple of months or whatever this or a few last couple of months, but in general, do you think it's more difficult to navigate social media now than it was a year ago two years ago yeah I think it's more difficult for sure and I hope that it's going to be one of those kind of phenomenon phenomena where you <laughs> it kind of swings so far the other way swings mm. so far one way that then it'll start going back again because I do feel at the moment it's it seems to be sort of the peak of kind of gotcha culture as oh, in yeah. people are always just sort of looking for something to catch you out on even when you know you haven't done anything <laughs> it just I think not even a, the size of the audience really making the difference but I think it, there's a very hostile side to social media a lot at the moment which is um not very fun why, why do we think I, to. I mean uh have you any sense of why why do you think it has moved naturally because i agree i think you're right i think it has got the last year or two there's it's taken a different turn and hopefully hopefully i wonder if it's part of the pandemic i don't know maybe any yeah, sense maybe. of that or or why you um, think no i mean i think in a funny way i think some of it not all of it but i think some of it actually comes from people trying to do better and kind of in terms of um, 
socially and being aware of other people and trying to make sure that we're doing the right thing. I think some people's way of thinking that they're doing the right thing is by trying to find the flaws in what anybody else is doing. Yeah. Which I know sometimes, you know, might come from a good place, but also sometimes goes too far and is very counterproductive. And I think we are maybe, I think we're very much losing the sort of benefit of the doubt in people mm-hmm. or, you know, there's no contextualizing things anymore. For example, it has to be extremely clear and you have to kind of sort of second guess what any random person might somehow misconstrue from anything that you've said. It, I mean, this all sounds like I'm doing a massive old complaint about, <laughs> about my own social media use, which I'm not trying to do. And this isn't meant to be, a, you know, or feel sorry for me. It's so hard to post on Instagram sort of thing. But, you know, just I think as a cultural thing, I think it's making it a lot more difficult for us to have conversations with each other without being scared of saying of using slightly the wrong word at the wrong time for example and literally just slipping up in a sentence and you think oh well I can't do that because that would be the worst thing ever yeah and and I think that like, just makes it hard to talk to anyone yeah well just close down as you say just close down conversations you just mm. don't have the conversations if in doubt stay quiet and but exactly. I'm hoping it'll change but, but anyway then I might get into the debate about Elon Musk taking over Twitter because see what's going to happen. I have a Twitter. Oh, I'm staying well out of it. <laughs> For your best. <laughs> but anyway, that could lead to change. And um, like, well, let's let's watch this space and, and see and see what happens. Um, but I think I really hope we have. I do think there's something to do with the, going through COVID. I think, uh, and so that's why I'm more hopeful that things will. Um, as we've all, I mean, I, I, we've all become more optimistic. I think in the last few months. And as mm. restrictions have lifted, so hopefully, hopefully that will that will help things. I mean, fingers crossed indeed. But it's also worth highlighting that in terms of the relationship between social media use and mental health in general. So, because it's it's often overplayed in the media, in the broader media, because if you look at the research out there, it can impact on an individual who's already vulnerable. We we touched on that, but the, but it's it's a small impact. And so I always get a bit fed up when people are over inflate. Social media and its influence on mental health can be good and can be bad. Mm-hmm. We should be harnessing it for the good. And of course, look out for people who are vulnerable. Absolutely. But it's not, social media is not the cause of all ills. But sometimes you read some of the media, it comes across as that. And I mean, yeah. and the amount of good it does, and I think you're maybe moving on to this sort of, I mean, you, the, the message and the reach that you have, I mean, you've, that is doing so much good. And maybe just maybe move on to your podcast, Gemma. And like, mm. is it, so was last year you started the podcast, Good Influence, is it? Or two it years ago? Was, was it? I think it end of 2020. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. during the pandemic, it was during yeah. the pandemic. And so that, I mean, I've, I've listened to some of these ep- the episodes and they're, they're fantastic and they really are tackling oh, thank you. really um, big issues. And I mean, uh, the feminism angle you're talking about feminism talking about climate change and sustainability i think the sustainability one i can't remember the person i can't remember the person's name who you interviewed well, and she was brilliant but and then also mental health as well so yeah. what's, your, what's your thinking maybe tell us a bit about what you what your goals and aspirations are for for the podcast i mean so the idea behind the podcast was really well yeah kind of what <laughs> kind of related to what we were just talking about is sort of having conversations with people and 
being able to sort of access these topics and you know just listen to a conversation by I'm not an expert in really much of anything but <laughs> luckily you can have guests on who know much more about these things and yeah kind of ground level intro discussions that make things a bit more accessible and then you know the opportunity then also to send in questions for people who have a, have a lot of knowledge in these topics and I think yeah having the sort of cross-section of different topics like you say from things like climate change and social justice topics mm-hmm. uh feminism all really just things that I think we should be talking about which you know again I, I have a lot of say in the things I think we should be talking about but it's my <laughs> podcast so I can but I think as part of that the mental health episodes to be honest even in episodes that aren't strictly about mental health I feel like it's always ends up being a bit of a theme when I end up um chatting with people so for example when we've talked about uh like climate justice work and activism will kind of bring in an element of there's a lot of what people will now describe as climate anxiety because you know what a lot of people are very worried about mm-hmm. about climate change and that sort of thing um I think it's really yeah trying to come at topics that might be difficult or a little bit complicated from a place where it's not judgmental if you don't already know much about the topic because I think that's that can be a difficult thing when something seems to be quite widely talked about if you've never really engaged with the subject before it's maybe quite difficult to walk into a room and kind of go oh well I don't know anything about that because people feel a bit then sort of unable to to care about something or get involved in something so I'm hoping that it's just a way to make people feel a bit more connected to these issues and a bit more informed and then able to participate in different different areas of activism or knowledge that they feel a bit more prepared to. Yeah, I suppose that's in the way you're, when you said about one of the challenges of Instagram or Twitter, whatever it is, conversations being shut down, you're trying to, op- you're trying to do the reverse and open these conversations up and hopefully provide knowledge and, and information to people and just people learning people's sort of sense of all their experiences in these really important topics. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. So Craig and I are obviously newbies to this podcast game, right? Mm. So, um, <laughs> So have you, have you any tips? It's a bit unfair, I think. This is an unfair question, but I'm going to try it anyway, Gemma. Any, any tips for what you think makes a really good podcast? I mean, I still feel very new, if that helps. I think it's all, it's all podcast imposter syndrome. Um, I don't know. I think the things that I always enjoy and I think the things that seem to resonate with people are, you know experiences that people can relate to so for example when you talk about mental health even just having conversations like that in a very open way which of course is what you guys are doing and opening up on your podcast I think it is such a powerful thing for people yeah Mm. that even kind of keeping it simple is sometimes all you need to do in terms of that's I get messages about the podcast and you know, I've started recording for another season and have had some really nice messages from people sort of saying oh I listened to a couple of your episodes at this time last year and that's what 
mm-hmm. really made me feel like I had the option and sort of gave me a bit of courage. And they've since, you know, gone spoken to a doctor or seen a therapist and they're like, oh, I'm feeling so much better. And like, thank you for talking about that thing because it made me realize that I could do something about this and there was something, you know, that I would be able to act on in my own life. So I feel like, yeah, not overcomplicating it, but also, yeah, just, I think the sharing of people's lived experiences always ends up being the most powerful thing that people seem to connect to on a podcast in my experience. So I think what you're doing is perfect. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) But I can just say one thing. I think what struck me that when I listened to the episodes I listened to, it was, it was a, authentic voices and that sense of curiosity. I think that's what I took from it. I think that's, I mean, if we can do anything like that, I would be delighted. And I'm hopefully I'm joining you, I think, Gemma, for an episode in your podcast. So Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I'm yeah. Looking excited forward to it. Yeah. I'm excited about that. So, but Craig, do you want to move on maybe to ask Gemma? Because obviously, Gemma, we are absolutely delighted that you're an ambassador for. MQ Mental Health Research. So do you mind maybe tell us about how you got involved in MQ? How did I get involved in MQ? Basically, I think I had come across the charity and I'm just, I just really like the work that they do. And I think for me, what it is, I think it's partly a background thing in terms of, so I, my degree was in teaching and, uh, and science teaching. I've always been very interested in the kind of the whys and wherefores and how things work. Um, oh, was it, did I say, was it genetics your degree, did I see? Was it some genetics component or something? Well, I, I started doing a genetics degree. <laughs> I did not finish it. <laughs> um, and then, then I did a science teaching degree, um, which is what I wanted to do in the first place. That's a much longer story for another day. Um, but yeah, that was, yeah, the kind of knowing why things happen and knowing how things work particularly you know yeah in biology and knowing how Mm -hmm. I work and how we all work I have always found very interesting and something that I personally had always found very frustrating about experiencing mental illness is that nobody could really tell me why Mm -hmm. and you know to this day I think there's there's just so much that we don't know and don't understand or you know have an idea but we're not really sure um of how a lot of these things and a lot of these illnesses work that is something yeah that I've personally found incredibly frustrating um over the years but it's also the reason why research to me is such a such a key thing and as important as you know support resources and charities that provide them are because of course they are to me there's something so engaging and I think it's so important to really put a lot of emphasis into the research so that we can actually understand more about these conditions and try and help people in the best way possible and you know maybe hopefully even prevent people having to have those experiences in the first place and we're just not going to get that by putting a plaster on something you really have to understand how it works I think in order to um, make the longer term changes and yeah that's why I feel very passionate about about the research element and what MQ does. Well, no, that's yeah. we're, we're obviously delighted. And and am I right? You also there's some linkage with your sunglasses range also linked to, isn't that right? There's some link to that with MQ. Am I right? Yeah, so yeah, it's on. Um, I mean, I don't know for a few things, but when um, yeah, doing doing things, lovely projects for work. But yeah, I have a, a collection of sunglasses that I sells people and um and yeah there's been for the past couple of collections there's been styles where um 
portions of proceeds of different frames uh, are donated to MQU. And yeah, I feel very lucky to be able to do that. I'm very grateful to anyone who supports both me and my creative endeavors and MQ in the process. <laughs> How did you get involved with sunglasses? Because sunglasses is a thing for just in my life i've always just bought them from like super super dry or whatever like this like really cheap sunglasses and i was just interested to know like how do you get involved in something like that because i've never really thought about sunglasses i'm not really a fashion conscious person to be honest i mean you know it's, it's one of those things where it all just kind of fell into place and you know it, i was also very lucky because of having a social media platform it means you end up meeting and sort of connecting with more people but i've just always been a big sunglasses wearer, lover, all the rest of it. And yeah, ended up working with a great company and they'd like, they'd sent me some sunglasses sometimes. And then I got to be friends with somebody who worked for the company. And then, yeah, when they asked me, you know, have you ever had any interest in designing sunglasses? And at the time I thought, oh, well, you know, I'm not, I'm not like, a, I'm not qualified for that. I'm not like a fashion person, but yeah, I ended up talking about it a lot more and I love doing it. So I'm very, very grateful to have the opportunity to do that and, yeah, work with some obviously very talented, talented people who can take my mood boards and very un untechnical sketches and turn them into sort of technical drawings and things that you actually need to send to factories and the rest of it. So, yeah, it's a big, very powerful team female effort, which I really enjoy as well. What's your image of the future of mental health research? I mean, I know there are definitely things I would like to know. Um, so I guess when I think about what what the future of research might be, then my head kind of goes there. I think in terms of things like, as far as I understand and have ever been told, um, with depression, for example, and actually a lot, a lot of different conditions, we talk about, you know, that our brain chemicals quote unquote are maybe out of balance and that's why we think certain drugs act a certain way and we think that certain drugs act on serotonin and that's what sort of balances out and works but as far as I have come to understand more recently we don't actually really 100% know if that's the case and we don't always know exactly how things work for particular conditions and different medications and such like so in terms of my sort of dream list of you know what I would like to see research do in the future even just for me personally I would love to be able to kind of go to a doctor and be able to have them I don't know test my blood or something and tell me what what actually is going on in my brain or why I maybe have experienced the things I have but yeah also I think more widely in research making the dream I guess it, it, then yeah more widely is having a more solid playbook on how you treat mm -hmm. different mental illnesses because I know that it's I mean and at the moment it is very much the nature of the beast but I think there's a lot of trial and error and you know you have to try a few different treatments or different medications maybe or that we're there's a lot of things that we can do and that are definitely worth pursuing and can make people feel better but there is you know the trial and error and getting getting to the solution for a particular individual can be quite exhausting in my experience so I would love to love to see the research be able to give people more kind of solid options and clearer paths to feeling well is what mm -hmm. I would love to see.
I think that's a great that's a great one. And but I think in addition to that, in addition to having clear options, the other big challenge in mental health and treatment of mental health is ex- getting access to it. So it's uh, yeah. well, it's a post mm-hmm. lottery of even though we've we know some treatments work for depression, other treatments work for anxiety, you don't feel get access to them and and, and that's across the across the piece. And I think that is we need to do so much more to we always talk about like the, obviously the current leveling up agenda. I mean I hate that term leveling up, but whatever the idea of parity of esteem and mental and physical health. Right. Mm-hmm. We've made some progress, but my God, we've we're nowhere near equal, nowhere near equal at all. And that's partly to do with investment as well, and not just in services, but as you say, Gemma, it's investment in the, the basic science and understanding the complex set of factors, biological, social, clinical, cultural factors that lead to mental health problems, but also then get that get the, the, the evidence based on the treatment and that. And we're in um in MQ here, really trying to drive that for that agenda forward. And we're trying to set the agenda as well, not just in terms of funding. We have a fellows project at the minute, which is trying to fund the new generation of people with these exciting new ideas. But mm. get, that's why they're raising every single every single penny that is raised from FTM and goes to say MQ. I mean, it's about funding and answering those questions that you've you've touched on. So I think they're fab. So I mean, just a couple of last things, Gemma, before we go. Then I think. So can I just ask one other thing about? I think I saw on your website the the doing good stuff. Mm. So maybe could you talk a bit about that? And then have two. Really exciting questions. You'd be pleased to hear. <laughs> oh, okay. okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, so the idea behind, so, you know, basically on my website, I have a little tab that's called Doing Good. And it is a list of essentially small actions that you might take to feel like you've, you know, put something good into the world, done something helpful or useful or, you know, overall positive, good, if you like. Um, and people can email and kind of contribute suggestions for this list. Um, but the idea behind it, again, was kind of my own personal experience of depression, to be honest, and kind of thinking, doing something positive and, f- you know, feeling like you've had a net positive sort of day or being able to help someone else can sometimes, you know, as well as obviously being a good thing to do just for the sake of it can also make you feel better in yourself. And I think when you've got, when you're maybe feeling quite low on mental resources, let's say yourself, um, the barriers to action of any kind can be very high. And I thought having that kind of list of just ideas, because some of them are, you know, are very simple in terms of you know linking to places that you might be able to sign a petition or if you're able to donate to a particular cause or various things there's examples of things like there is an app you can download that then when it tracks your steps it donates to a charity Mm. so I mean and a lot of other very different things signing up to be an organ donor small action but just things that you when you're feeling quite sort of mentally burnt out, for example, that you might not be able to, you know, you're not coming up with a lot of ideas. It's difficult. And that's, Mm -hmm. I say that because I've been there. It's, you know, when you've not, don't feel like you've got a lot in the tank mentally, it's difficult to, to think of ways to make yourself feel better. And I do think, and I believe, you know, that research shows that, you know, being 
helpful and being kind and feeling like you've done something good in the world um, is also very good for you mentally and your sort of fortitude. So yeah, the idea of having that list is to just reduce maybe a barrier for people to feel like they've done something good that day. No, I think that's a good, because I think actually the evidence, if my memory of reading a, a scientific paper a while ago is that I think it's also associated, if you do those sorts of um, voluntary work or volunt- engagement, those sorts of things, I think mm. you live longer as well. <laughs> so I think there's, I mean, yeah. it really has huge benefits, not to mention your mental health and well-being. Um, but yeah, so I think it's a fantastic, fantastic one. So Craig, is there anything else before we do our the last two sort of trying to sort of end on a, a more... Um, <clears throat> well hopefully light-hearted-ish and into the podcast is there anything craig we want to ask Gemma or Gemma, is anything you wanted to chat to us about that we haven't asked you about or i mean i guess i would ask you know as people who work dedicated in the sort of mental health space and being someone who you know one does social media things and two has a podcast is there anything from your point of view that you think needs to either be spoken about more or do you think there's something that the general social media conversation is getting wrong about mental health that we need to be correcting hey hold on is this the wrong way around i think <laughs> we're asking you questions Jim, I thought. well you just asked me if i had a question that was your fatal flaw <laughs> no, i think it's a really good question um i wonder there's something about making sure we don't forget about the complexity around mental health problems mm-hmm. i think sometimes some of the messaging i don't mean yours or anything but just some of the message in the media is there's one cause to like so a good example of this is social media there's too many headlines thankfully this is changing but there's too many headlines saying social media causes per mental health right that's yeah that's that is too simplistic and right. I think, so that's for me it's about that is is making sure we don't and, so, and, and some of the stuff I have heard in other places has really been reductionistic and try to reduce the complexity of a human being's existence to one factor so I think yeah about that and then the other one is and I think what this is happening is having at the heart of everything people's lived experience and that's what you do in the work that you're doing and I think that's the bit because that because no matter how many papers I write and publish, most most reach I ever have is when I go beyond the academic towers and t- and do podcasts or do public events, things like that's where and small things, small you never and I think it always I'm continually amazed that is people listen to what you say and mm. you don't know the power of your words. And the part of your words, Gemma, or the part of your words, Craig, and it's people come back to you and say, actually, there's some small thing which might be incidental to what you you didn't think that was that important, but it really resonated with them. So it highlights the power of doing these sorts of things. I think that's most up in mind. Craig, have you any thoughts on that? I agree a lot with what you said about lived experience. I guess a lot for me is hearing somebody else. Um, talk about their own experiences and how that's affected them. One person that comes to mind in particular is Tyson Fury, mm. where you'd feel like this guy, this like how tall is he? Was six nine or six seven, something like that? This big guy, heavyweight champion of the world. He punches people for a living. There's no way that he can have any any problems in his life. But then it's like, no, that's not true. He does have his own issues. And when you see somebody that you know, maybe someone you look up to, or even someone you can relate to. That says, you know, sometimes I have a bad time and this is what I do to, to help with it all. It, it does a lot. It does a lot. Mm. But I'm just saying, the one came to my head there is Brian e. Gordon. 
Brian mm-hmm. A. Gordon's work on how she's really t- challenges stigma around addiction, for example. Love Brian A. She's great. She's amazing. And I mean, absolutely amazing. Her books are amazing. Her columns are amazing. Her podcasts are amazing. I mean, so I, but I think that really, it's been, but that's because it's authentic. It comes from the heart. And I think, mm-hmm. and that's also, I mean, that's a saying about your podcast as well, Gemma, is even though, even if you're talking about topics where maybe not as, or a bit drier, like on social, not, no, I'm not saying social justice is not important. Of course, it's really important. But sometimes, Trying to bring it to life is more difficult sometimes, but I think you, on those topics, you're managing to do that. And that's to do with the authenticity. And, and that authenticity is we all have our own lived experience of any of these issues, or most of these issues. And I think it's just bringing that out there. And it's so, so powerful. So, no, so thank you for that, that question. Well, thank you. <laughs> right. So, Gemma, the um, last two questions, and we'll, we'll, um, we'll end things. And so, we're asking all our guests are to a bit more. Inter- well, interesting things specifically about you, not necessarily about mental health, right? So, okay. So, um, so I apologize in advance. <laughs> so, I mean, I apologize for whatever I've <laughs> managed to come up with for you. So, wait. So, the first one is, and I, and I do think it's a really useful one to think about is so, my, you're in your early 30s, I think. Yeah. And so, thinking back to when you were 16, what advice would you give? your 16 year old self Um, my 16 year old self um okay I mean if I think about that my 16 year old self definitely had anxiety didn't really know (laughs) it but had also not really been through a lot of depression yet but oh boy was it coming for her um (laughs) so I feel like what I would say to my 16 year old self I guess is try and yeah teach her me I guess a bit about what that looks like because this was very much you know I mean me at 16 um I think Facebook had just been invented it was all pre-social media um so things like this very public you know mental health conversation just what weren't a thing yeah it wasn't a thing um so yeah I think looking back one of the things I think is it definitely took me a lot longer to seek treatment properly um when I probably should have done so I feel like that would be that would be a big message for my 16 year old self as kind of don't don't be a martyr kind of thing don't think that you're just not coping and everybody else you know it's not that there's something wrong with you when everybody else is coping and you should be able to cope it's because you actually need help with something and you deserve to receive help for that thing yeah i think it's a brilliant message that's a fantastic i think and if you look at all the evidence early intervention is where you get the best results that's from mm-hmm. it's no exactly don't yeah believe in your lived experience and you're feeling you need help or support yeah and and part of it, you're right was 15 20 years ago we didn't or 15 years ago or whatever it was for you we didn't have these conversations hadn't really started in the same mm-hmm. way. I think, you're, I think it's, that's a brilliant one. So, no, thanks, thanks for that, Gemma. That's brilliant. So, last question then, unless there's anything else from Craig. I'll try and make this one actually lighthearted. Like, <laughs> what's the plan? No, 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 no. That was, that was, no, but, well, they didn't have to be not lighthearted. It was just a different sort of question. As really sure. Is it, um, so thinking about um, 
you talk about your social media life now and so lots of people know lots of things about you and you'd probably be surprised what people know about you that you don't even know that people know about you i'd probably be horrified at the things people know about me <laughs> that was a bit of a convoluted sentence there but anyway so my question is is there anything which you would, would surprise people or what is there something you could tell us that people you think don't know about you um things people don't know about me let's think um I watch a lot of cartoons. Don't know if people know that about me. Um, Any particular type of cartoons? What's a, what's a fun fact? Um, oh, particular types of cartoons. Uh, oh, I don't know. What am I watching at the moment? Futurama? Um, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, they're cool. Yeah. Animated reruns are my comfort place and, yeah, form a lot of the background noise to my life. And <laughs> what can I think? Fun fact. Uh, oh, I have never drunk out of a drinks can as yeah. in like a you know a, like aluminium can of like what cola. Name? pop cola yeah beer, I whatever it is never drank out of one hold on hold on, hold on. sorry right. yeah i've got so many questions <laughs> <laughs> no, <it's all> right. <laughs> oh i've come up with a good fun okay <laughs> oh is this is this a phobia or where did, where did this come from it just ended up being a thing when I was little. I just didn't like fizzy drinks at all. Never would have drunk them in the first place. And then as I've got older, I am literally just too scared of that sharp piece of metal to put, mm. to put my mouth on it. I that is a brilliant fact. Um, I mean, there's yeah. a bit of, bit of weirdness to end the podcast episode on. <laughs> yeah. That's something you definitely didn't know about me. <laughs> well, well, thanks so much for that, Gemma. No, no, that's me. That's a good way to end because I think we have t- talked about some difficult in- issues and 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 the ending on this uh, this sort of more lighthearted note is not to obviously undermine the importance of mental health work because it is so so important. But for us working in the area and thinking about it all the time, it is so important to realise that. Sometimes you do need light when you're dealing with a lot of shade. And um, yeah, thanks so much, Gemma, for joining us, to Craig and I, today. And But also a, a personal thanks on behalf of MQ for the work that you are doing with us as a charity and, and just in terms of raising awareness. And we're really excited with the continued, we hope, partnership with you and MQ moving forward. So thanks so much and, uh, and have a great day today. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thanks. MQ Open Mind is presented by MQ Mental Health Research, the only organisation that exclusively invests into scientific research around mental health. Our vision is to create a world where mental illnesses are understood, effectively treated and one day prevented. Visit mqmentalhealth.org to learn more.